you know, we haven't actually done an episode about um, a nostalgic um, laced movie in a while. Yeah. We've done a lot of new movies. Yeah. I mean, you could say that Jurassic Park is uh, is relevant. That's true. But the Jurassic Park episode only came about because of Jurassic World Dominion. Right. It's not It's not as like, um, you know, oh, we're watching, uh, you know, The Shadow or something. Oh, we should do The Shadow. We should do The Shadow. We yeah. should do The Shadow. We should do The Shadow. We should do The Mask of Zorro. That's also very, yes. uh, very nostalgic I, for us. I have like, oh my God. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as I well. I've got a summer. massive list. I mean, we could... We could be here till uh, till twenty twenty five. That's all that right. List. I thought we'd give the uh, the listeners a bit of nostalgia up the veins, up okay. the veins, up the veins, in the veins, in the veins. Yeah, this is going well. Um, so <laughs> we can sort of talk a little bit about like what what movies have you seen recently that um, sort of awokened the nostalgic thing in your brain box. Right. <laughs> Words. Words. In the last episode, if anybody remembers, I received the Indiana Jones trilogy slash uh, quadrilogy or depending wherever you're holding with uh, with regards to Crystal Skull. Um, <laughs> holding it in the fucking garbage. Well, I don't know. I, I, we'll talk about this in depth when we do four separate Indiana Jones you episodes. Hear that, it's going to be when. Epic. Yes, when. Um, but, the, uh, but Crystal Skull didn't annoy me as much as it usually does this mm. time around. And I think it might just be ripe for a fan edit or something like that, that that could take out some of the... I think there are a lot of movies, including Jurassic World Dominion, by the way, that if you cut out a bunch of annoying things, it might make them Make much more better. sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on today, because I have some thoughts about the movie that we're reviewing today, which is The Black Phone. Also, I would cut out some of the stuff... Uh, to make a better movie, but uh, but anyway, we'll get there. Um, so nostalgia feels. Uh, so I said we. I got the uh, the 4K Ultra HD uh, four movie set of Indiana Jones, and when watching the first three, nostalgia feels all up the wazoo. Yeah, I'm sure, especially uh, Raiders, but not less um, Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. I just think that those three movies are incredible mm. and there's so much to talk about with them and we will talk about them in a, in uh, in later episodes well i um i actually rewatched uh it's it's not really nostalgia because this it, it's not really a movie from the 80s or anything <laughs> like it doesn't really have to be i suppose um no you could be nostalgic for something you saw a year ago well i i um i rewatched uh harry potter and the half-blood prince mm-hmm. which i haven't I've only really seen it once or twice. Half I think. Blood Prince was what two thousand five? No, two thousand nine. I, I not that far off. It's four years, but still, yeah. Um, it was quite a long time ago. I mean, we were talking about Drag Me to Hell uh, a couple of uh, episodes that was ago, and that was two thousand nine. Nine, and okay. we have like a nostalgic connection to it. We we are yeah. talking about something like. Uh, how long ago? Like uh, thirteen years ago, or something. You know, oh, so. Jesus! Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is that I'm I'm rereading the the books now. I haven't reread the books in a long time, and yeah. you know, I don't want to go into any political stuff. You know, about 
the author and all that because yeah, because no, I, every, think any I think of that's relevant to me. I think it's not relevant, but you know, I a lot of people say, "Oh, you shouldn't read the books because you know, scapegoat whatever." Why does it mean that every time you open the book, does she get like an influx of dollars or something like that? I don't know. I think she gets owls delivering her, you know, pounds. <laughs> But it, my point she is, she probably is got that, a couple of howlers um, for those tweets. To be honest, whatever you feel about the author, the uh, the books are still incredible. And right. uh, Shosh got me these, you know, beautiful illustrated editions of of three and four. So I'm reading four now, and it just elevates it to such a like to have uh, to have these really really lovely painted and also very accurate to the descriptions. Right. Uh, these paintings. Uh, so then I like went back to watch uh, the sixth one. Uh, because it was the one that I've seen the least, and I actually remember enjoying it more. Um, yeah. Now I, that I now that, that I've sort of now that I've sort of let go of the whole oh it's nothing like the books, um, just enjoying it for the visuals and the the just just seeing the world and hearing the music is is great. Yeah. So that that kind of gave me a bit of a nostalgia kick, to be honest. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, was, I'm I'm actually just enjoying reading the books is giving me a lot of um. A lot of uh, nostalgia. Also, when watching a movie that you've never seen before that might be from a time that holds a certain amount of nostalgia for you, like, for example, we've talked about this a lot, but we haven't actually uh, done the episode yet, uh, Monster Squad. Yeah. You, you watch something like Monster Squad, it's very much rooted in the 80s, or, um, or, you know, or, or you watch a movie that's very much rooted in the 90s, it can give you the nostalgia feels even though you don't remember watching that movie. Absolutely. So uh, that, that could be an interesting experience, because uh, I've seen Monster Squad, I've got thoughts on it. Um, well, Stranger Things gives me a lot of nostalgia vibes, because, yeah. because of how it is, it is in itself homaging. Like, there's a lot of, right. um, there's a lot of Star Wars and, and Indiana Jones references, and... Uh, Steven Spielberg stuff in there and yeah. also tons of like I, I, I was saying this to you the, the other day about the uh, Silence of the Lambs uh, the way that you know they, they meet Victor Creel and they walk down right. the corridor and the way it's done and the way the inmates are like you know peeking at them and they're on exactly the same side right. of the door uh, of, the, of the of the shot, I mean, and I mentioned it to Shosh that they that it's like Silence of the Lambs, and she didn't know exactly what I was talking about at first because she's only seen it once, and it was like a you know, and she was she was she wasn't sure if she'd seen it. I was like, yeah, you have, um, and it was um, it, it was like just cool to like notice these right. things, the framing and stuff like that. So there's a lot of nostalgia. So baked my wife into also like when we were watching that, but she's seen Silence of the Lambs a few times, uh, but also uh, aside from having seen it on on her own, she uh, she had to do it for a course that she did a, a year ago. Or so oh, have fun. Yeah, um, but she but she pointed all that. Stuff. She actually pointed that out. That sounded sarcastic. I meant that genuinely. <laughs> for someone who doesn't have as much of a connection or a or a history or or an obsession with movies uh, as I do, she got quite a lot of those references. And I have to say, I, I felt a, a twinge of pride because I think yeah. that, that a lot of that is my doing. <laughs> so I get, I get, um, I get that as well. But I also really get a kick out of pointing it out to Shosh um, because, you know, it makes me feel clever. <laughs> uh, but the thing is about Stranger Things is that it's it's deliberate. But if you you know you look at something like Monster Squad and it's pure, it's not. Yeah, yeah, it has no no yeah. sense of irony, no sense of like callback or mm-hmm. or or self referentialism or anything like that. It's uh, it's very much a product of the time. That's uh, so that that would be very interesting for us to uh, to to talk about. Speaking of time, let's crack on. We've got games, VFX, trivia, and movie talk. It's all coming up right here on what's our seat number. Let's have. No, no, you're not. You're not going at no, me. No, no, go for it. It's, this it's, is mine. It's all yours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you. That's. 
I'm going to take back some of the things I've said about you, Jonathan. Let's have an episode. What's our seat number? Hello and welcome to What's Our Seat Number, the only show in the world that doesn't mind a bit of slap and tickle. Lord knows I do, am I right, Johnny? Oh dear Lord. I'm Cy. <laughs> Why is there a question mark? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm Cy, a 3D artist sure? and game designer with a penchant for temper losing, fish and barrel shooting, leaving sentence unfinished. And with me is my brother. And no, we promise he doesn't dream about you in the night and pleasure himself while singing Merry Go Round Broke Down. It's filmmaker and podcaster Johnny Gross. Oh my god. Today we will be speaking about the newly released film The Black Phone, starring Ethan Hawke, Jeremy Davis, newcomers Mason Thames and Madeline McGraw. The film is directed by Scott Derrickson of Sinister Fame, which scared the pants off of my brother, and is based off of a short story from Joe Hill. During this podcast, we will be counting off the many times that this film made Jonathan jump. <laughs> For fuck's sake. And we will be prodding him with it. Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was fun. Okay. Um, be aware, listeners. Spoilers! There will be spoilers. We are discussing this movie from head to toe. <laughs> Backfired, didn't it? So Soda. Spread in the face. Can I have a bit of... Uh, no. Pour yourself some. Oh. You're on the other end of it. It's like the scene from... From Batman. Can you pass, Can you the, pass salt? the salt? You're too far away from it. Do we say do now? That's a bit of a mishap for you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Right, Korg? All right, let's visit the news desk. It's time for some... Movie News. So this week on Movie Muse... Movie Muse. <laughs> Fuck me. I can't do wow. this. I can never do this. I can never do this. I don't understand. What is I don't wrong with your mouth? Movie, it's either movie, movie news or movie muse. Maybe it's movie muse. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. My daughter keeps me up at night and I am tired. So this week on movie news, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, for those not in the know, the producers and gatekeepers of the James Bond franchise, have said that a new Bond movie is at least two years away from starting production and that they're reinventing him. And quite frankly, while a lot of people online have said that, uh, oh my god, two years? Two years until they start filming, man! I'm like, give him time. Yeah, because we need some time to get over what just happened. Yeah, because I... I think Johnny really needs some I have time to get my, over it. My hate for this movie, and if anybody has listened to the epic double episode that we did at the beginning of our tenure as podcasters, um, they will know that this uh, this movie really, really annoyed me. And then only with time has it gotten worse. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I think it's it's ripe for a reinvention. And, um, yeah, give, give it the time. Give it the time. Does it uh, not concern you when they say reinvention, what they mean by that? Does that sort of thing not concern you, like what they're going to do with the property? No, because I think I think the uh, the idea of of them gatekeeping, which is which is what they've always said, is that they're protecting the franchise. Yeah, is that they wouldn't do anything. And, and I'm saying this now, fully aware of the irony in this statement, that they mm. wouldn't do anything that would piss off uh, <laughs> the Godfather of. Uh, of uh, James Bond, uh, Albert R. Broccoli, who uh, passed away just as Goldeneye was released. Yeah. Um, the, but then it, I say that, and then No Time to Die happens. So uh, perhaps it was just to appease Daniel Craig, but I don't think that they're going to reinvent him to the point where he's, uh, you know, Rocket Raccoon. Um, 
Although you look at me with that, with those eyes and uh, you know eyebrows raised, and I think that perhaps you think that they might. I th- not that they'd make Rocket Raccoon, but that maybe they'd you know, I don't I don't know. Like they'd make it very I don't know. Maybe he'd be you know very sort of you know hello, I'm James Bond. I don't know. <laughs> My goodness, <laughs> let's not be silly. Whatever, silly Billy Custard. Please stop trying to take over the world, you silly Billy. <laughs> So, um, I, I don't know why. Now that's a show that I would watch. Yeah. James Bond's uh, younger brother, Periwinkle Bond, <laughs> I think that um, while there's a lot of um, sort of diversifying going on in, uh, in the MCU, for example, I think that that's fantastic. Yeah. They are always preserving the essence of the character, even, uh, even when they're doing that. But again, Stan Lee... And uh, and Steve Ditko and whoever else uh, was you know working on uh, creating characters back in the day were pretty diverse. They were creating characters like Blade, and uh, and you know and you Black had Panther. and Black Panther, and you've got Ms. Marvel as well. You know, so so I think that um, I think that a lot of that stuff is uh, is from the source material. But I think there's a certain point where you take something like James Bond and you reinvent it to the point where it's not even recognizable as James Bond anymore. So they have to still keep to certain elements. Um, and Barbara Broccoli has said that he's still going to be, uh, you know, a male at the very least. Well, I'm, and I'm, if he's played by Henry Golding, that that might not be such a terrible thing. No, if, I, I don't think uh, so. If he's able to capture the essence of the of the character. No, I don't, I don't think that that matters. It's it, look, you know, I I'm I'm wondering. Here's a question for you. What would you feel if they were to give um, directing duties to um, Taika Waititi? I think that that would possibly be a mismatch. I think that uh, in but the they s- might do something like that. They'd give it to a director who is you know look uh, hot at the moment. From, from what I from what I've read um, from the reviews that have come out about Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, he has given that movie a certain amount of darkness, and there is humor, mm. obviously, because it's Taika Waititi. I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit yet, but apparently that movie in its second half has a very, very dark switch. Okay. Um, so, in terms of uh, of seriousness, I don't think he's incapable, but I think that he's, his general style is perhaps... And, and I don't believe that he's somebody that would compromise on a on a vision, so I'm not sure that he would necessarily be right for it. Um, but if they if they did do that, I would hope that they would try to uh, to sort of keep it on brand, as it were. Yeah. Um, you, you you know you want to look at somebody who's uh, who's uh, either got experience with that kind of thing or is very deft with uh, yeah. with sort of character work and, and stuff like that. Um, everybody talks about Nolan. I'm not sure that uh, that Nolan not would on do the, it on the cards. I don't think. Yeah, but yeah, that's the idea. Quite frankly, if they gave it to somebody like Dave Filoni, who was the head writer and uh, and director of uh, of The Mandalorian, you know, mm. that could also that could also work. I think it's all about sort of uh, translating. Like, you know, people come to me all the time and they say, "Have you done this exact project that I'm that I'm uh, about to do?" And I say, well, you know, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cameraman. Do it in my style I'm an editor. No, I can do it in my style, it. but I can also, but I can also come, you know, come towards you and, and give you what you're looking for. Yeah. Like for example, that thing that I showed you uh, the other day, I did something for the police, and uh, and I did it in a completely different style to what yeah. I normally do. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's the thing. So there may be certain directors that can say, you know what, I'm a chameleon, and I can and I can just I can, you know get in the James Bond headspace. But quite frankly, I would just love it if Martin Campbell came back to reinvent yeah, Bond for a would. third time. Uh, anyway, we're back to moving, moving news. 
James Cameron has said that people need to stop complaining about long movies. He says it's okay to take a pee break and that uh, people nowadays complaining about long movies are whining. Does that mean that Avatar 2 is going to be four plus hours? Uh... Why didn't he just make it a TV series if he was going to do that? I don't know. Andrew Garfield has signed a deal with Marvel to return as Spider-Man. That's exciting news. Because maybe if they give him a good director and they place it within the MCU, um, then it might they might actually make a good movie with him. Because I have no problem. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. And you see what what he did under the under the guidance of uh, of John Watts. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, that that that's really that cool. That would be good. Uh, I wanted to uh, before we. Uh, sidle out of movie news uh, I wanted to talk to you about the uh, the three trailers that we saw before uh, before the black phone and I wanted to get your opinion on uh, on what you saw mm. um, first of all uh, Jordan Peele's nope mm. what did you think I thought first of all that it was quite spoilery yeah um, because although the, maybe not you don't know although maybe not but the uh, well us I, I don't I think I saw the trailer and you get an idea of, of what it might be about and then it was completely yeah, exactly. different to I that. think that's probably what, what this yeah. trailer's done I really enjoyed us by the way um, and and I think that the um, you know showing the UFO and all that kind of stuff like the original teaser trailer should have it, it should have been left where it was yeah like I, I didn't necessarily want to know any of any that any of that yeah um, but anyway I'm, I'm looking forward to that one I think it's uh, I, I, I I'm love sure anything that he'll that find a way does. to turn it on its head and, and surprise you right I, I love everything that uh, that Jordan what Peele else does did we anyway. see uh, we saw Smile yeah which is uh, looks kind of like I think it's Blumhouse or or uh, a24 or it, something like that it was creepy it um, was creepy i thought i i think it, it may not be something to see in the cinema no, but uh, i'm i'm not i'm not like going interested. oh i have to watch that movie that's yeah. not like uh all right i'm definitely interested to see it and the yeah. uh movie that i thought looked kind of fun but you said it looked stupid bullet train with brad pitt and it, sandra bullock yeah it just i don't know whether it was the trailer or it just went on for a little bit longer than it should have yeah and it's it was, the whole movie um, basically yeah like, i did not also I don't know. All these movies where they take an actor um, who's a bit older and yeah. they turn them into action heroes and whatnot but I, is like, I'm, I'm a little bit fed up with them, to be honest. Just like I'm fed up with legacy sequels, you know? It's like, right. it's, um, but it's not, starting I to think they're kind me. of like beating the shit out of him a little bit more than he's an action hero. But um, I think it's got like kind of a, a Smoke and Aces kind of vibe. Mm. Um, you know, one of those kind of like, uh, like comedies where, um, you know, you've got this kind of beaten down every man who's getting shunted from uh, from you know crazy occurrence to crazy occurrence um, I, I, I don't know I think that could be fun I'm, I'm kind of interested to see that again maybe not for the cinema but uh, but I would be interested to see it and you also said to me uh, when we went in to see The Black Phone you said that we haven't been to see a horror movie in the cinema for ages yeah we went to see Scream Oh, that's true. That is true, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. But the difference is... I don't is, think about Scream as horror movies, though. Right, because it didn't make me jump, and it didn't scare me. It's and a it's, different it's kind a, it's of... It's like a thriller. It's a di- it, no, it, I always find slasher movies to be very, very different from, like, a horror movie right, with, right. with, you know, ghosts and tension. Like, if we were right. to go and see something like Insidious or... or Sinister. Sinister. Ugh. Oh, here's the thing, is that Invisible Man is not really one of those movies, but it still behaves like a ghost movie in, right, in, in the way it's... Right, it's also Blumhouse. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's just a different vibe to Scream. But you're right, that is a, it is classified a horror movie. Yeah. Anyway, that was... Movie News. Okay, so now I've got a new game for you. Yeah. It's called Brit Yank or Aussie? Or Kiwi. 
this is the point where I uh, give you the name of an actor or an actress, and you have to guess if they're Brick, Yank, Aussie, or Kiwi. <laughs> so first up is uh, well, actually, there's a couple of uh, TV uh, TV themes here, mm. um, but uh, anyway, so the first one is Joseph Quinn, who played Eddie Munson in uh, in Stranger Things season four. Is he a Brit, a Yank, an Aussie, or a Kiwi? As I understand it, he's a Brit. Correct. Mm-hmm. Very good. I was quite surprised at that because his American accent is, is very, good, very good. Yeah. And he really, I, I believed that he was a product of the 80s. I, I did too. Also, he was, you know, I just heard him speaking with a British accent in in, in interviews. So it's not like I, yeah. I guessed it or something. Go on. So you probably know this one as well. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven. He's Brit. British. Correct. Correct. Um, okay, next one. Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander in uh, in The Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He is an Aussie, isn't he? Oh, no, is he a Kiwi? He's a Kiwi. Mm. Yeah. He's a Kiwi. <laughs> okay. Um, soon to be seen in Jordan Peele's Nope and the star of Get Out, Daniel Kaluuya. He's a Brit, no? Correct. Yeah. He is indeed. His American accent is excellent. Also so is, very good. So is, uh, also I was quite shocked. I mean, no, I wasn't shocked because I'd seen uh, Attack the Block before uh, John Boyega starred in uh, in Force Awakens, but his also his American accent in Force Awakens is pitch perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and same thing with Daniel Kaluuya in uh, in 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 the trailer for Nope and also he, he in Get was, Out. He was in. He's, um, he's, it's seamless. He was in Black seamless. Mirror. He was in an episode of Black Mirror, and that's yeah. you know he's using his oh, the one with accent. the bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, uh, and the final one, Joel Edgerton. Uh, he's a, a Brit, isn't he? No. no. No? Wait, which one's Joel Edgerton? Joel Edgerton plays uh, Uncle Owen. He's also in a bunch of other oh, things. Oh, oh, no. I was thinking of Taron Edgerton. Um, oh, he's a Brit. <laughs> no, uh, he's not. Yes, Taron? Taron Edgerton is a Brit. Yeah. I, do, I don't know what Joel Edgerton I don't know. He's, he's, an, he's Aussie. an Aussie. Yeah. Well, I don't know how many of those I got right, but some of them. Yeah, no, you got uh, one, two, Three out, out of five. Oh, so my doubloons, please. Your doubloons. <laughs> clinky, 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 clinky. And that was Brett Yank or Ozzy. Or Kiwi. Very good. I like that. It's a nice, quick, uh, that's quick, nice and quick. Mm, yes, yeah, nice, little, nice and quick. So let's talk context for the black phone. What did you know? What do you know about Ray Finkel? Um, <laughs> what did you know about Joe Hill what before? Hell uh, of a <laughs> what did you know about Joe Hill? Um... So I've seen the Lock and Key uh, TV series. Right. All of it? Uh, yeah. Okay. I think I read... I didn't read Nosferatu, but I did... I, I know about his dad, Mr. Step King. Hen, Mr. Stephen Mr. King. Mr. Stephen King. Yes. Um, My first uh, introduction to Stephen King was uh, was when our father was reading the Tommyknockers, mm. which I found to be the most hilarious title I've, I'd ever seen. Did you get like a, a big like... Um, gut punch thing when lucas was reading max uh, the talisman yes i did actually I did because well, i because you love the talisman so i um when i first sorry came... stranger things uh branch yeah, off my apologies yeah. so when i first came here um uh, i was in a uh, in a dorm room and the previous 
uh, tenant of uh, of my bed kind of thing had left a whole bunch of books. And he said to me before he left, you can just, you know, have them, go nuts, take your pick. One of them was The Talisman. And I feasted on that for 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 like a month or something. It's long, um, yeah. It's, it's very, very long. And um, yeah, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, it's The Talisman. I've still got it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you lent a, it to me and you said, just read this. It's really good. Yeah. it's It's got a, a Dark Tower vibe. It, it's connected to the it's dark connected tower. to the dark tower um, i love the dark tower so much yeah. so so i i'm a, a big fan of stephen king i've got uh, i've got a lot of uh, stephen king's books yeah me too um and a lot of the movies that are based on his work have been very very successful mm-hmm. i think um probably because of the amount the volume of his work like he's written so many books yes. that like there's more of a hit rate just by by way of sheer numbers yeah uh, but you've got things like the dead zone the dead zone's a fantastic movie um you've got uh, the green mile and the shawshank redemption and the mist uh, you know the frank darabont was one of the directors who was so adept at um, adapting, <laughs> adapting his work. Um, it was an adept adapter. Yeah, there's uh, there's obviously it. Chapter one, chapter two. Recently, that uh, that were very well uh, that were very well judged. Um, you know, he's he's done. Uh, he's he's got. A, there are a lot of like misery also. Mm-hmm. And stand by he me. Get into the cockadoodle car. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of movies based on Stephen King works that uh, that I think are just uh, just fantastic. There are also a lot of movies that aren't great based on Stephen King's work. Yeah. Um. But uh, but anyway. So so when it comes to Joe Hill, averages. In it, <laughs> law of averages. So, um, so when it came when it come, comes to Joe Hill, I remember I was on holiday. I think around like 2016 or something like that, and I saw Nosferatu. And the I didn't know anything about Joe Hill. I didn't know that he was Stephen King's son, uh, but I saw this kind of like number plate um, title. Uh, that's, uh, that's like written NOS4R2. It was R. I was in Malta at the time. So I think that might be the British version. Uh, and the American mm. version is A2. It's R2. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the R works better, Nosferatu. But uh, but that's just my, that's just me. Basically, the first chapter concerns, uh, I, I believe it's like Charlie Manx, who's, uh, who's in a coma. And he's like, uh, you find out later on that he's like a vampire and he's a child snatcher. Like Joe Hill's got this thing about child snatchers. And the main character, whose name's Victoria, you see her from like being a child to uh, to being an adult. Um, she rides her bike through this uh, sort of abandoned uh, covered bridge uh, in the woods. And it takes her to uh, to places that she wants to go. Mm. And there's like this, this little uh, this little thing with a with a bracelet, I believe, if I remember correctly, and um, and she re- she like finds the bracelet and return like she she basically finds lost things, mm. so it can take her through time and space, and um, and like that first chapter just kind of grabbed me, like it's uh, his use of the of the supernatural and the uh, the unusual and the way that he built the characters and the way that he. Um, sort of told the the story the way it flowed. Um, his prose just kind of like really grabbed me, and the uh, um, and also he's he's like unflinching. Like his father also like deals with a lot of really heinous shit, and uh, and some of the uh, some of the prose is very difficult to read. And and the same thing with Joe Hill is like it's it's kind of like you know people would say to me like why do you you know watch those kinds of movies or why do you read those kinds of books? Um, but that's the reason why you want to feel something. You want it to be visceral. 
visceral. You want it to be uh, real. You want it to, to grab you. you I know? mean, again, I don't understand why anybody asks anyone why you would want to. You're obviously pulled by something there. Right. And it's, you know, no, the, but my the wife always asks is... me, my wife always asks me, like, why, you know, why would you watch horror films if you're jumping at shadows in the dark? It happened to me after Hereditary uh, that, like, I started, like, seeing shadows of, like, uh, yeah. of, like, people, like, wait, like, smiling at me in the darkness and stuff like that. Um, you know, you, you do that so that you can, so that you can, like, sort of exercise that fear muscle um you know you get that injection of adrenaline and uh you know it's that it's the kind of thing where but you can do it in like a safe space yeah you know what i mean it's like it's cathartic so uh so i I enjoy that kind of thing and um you know and and, uh and joe hill writes a lot of sort of like dark fantasy um so there was that there was 20th century ghosts which uh which is a short story collection which uh uh, the black phone uh, appears in, mm. and I remember reading the black phone at the time, but I didn't reread it before seeing the movie because I didn't want anything uh, ruined for me. Um, and then there was Heart Shaped Box, which is also a great book. Um, and then I discovered when we went to Free Comic Book Day a couple of, a few years ago, um, and uh, we got our free comic books, and then we were looking at the shelves, like looking, you know, what would I buy? And everybody's like going for you know sort of Superman and Batman and Marvel and all that stuff. And I went straight for Lock and Key because I saw the name joe hill mm. and i bought all of those like un- sight unseen i bought the first four volumes and that also like grabbed me it's amazing artwork it's amazing storytelling and um and i, and I really really enjoyed it i i didn't enjoy the netflix adaptation that much so i stopped watching after I about know, four or five I, i've episodes. heard from people who other people who've read the the graphic novel that's not it's not it doesn't live up to it right because uh, and i was saying to this uh, i was saying this to you last night that um that you hold certain authors up to a certain standard that the adaptation of the work and it is possible like i mean you've got to take into account that things are going to get changed you know movies are a different medium to novels um and and things are going to get changed but uh you want to capture the essence of the writing and i think for me uh the black phone achieved that mm. And um, to cer- to a certain extent, Horns achieved that, um, but uh, but Nosferatu and uh, the the AMC adaptation and the uh, Netflix adaptation of Lock and Key did quite do it for me, um, and and I say it's possible because all of those uh, movies that I mentioned before uh, that are based on Stephen King novels really did capture the essence yeah um so you know it's not uh, it's not completely out of the realm of it's possibility part, part one is a great example of of you know capturing yeah. the essence of of you know absolutely a- and as we were talking about on the way home the the first two harry potter movies really did that as well yeah um so yeah so that's uh that's my uh that's my context for joe hill uh in terms of scott derrickson i remember soda uh, in terms of scott derrickson i I remember seeing um the exorcism of emily rose and that got horrible horrible reviews on release uh from what i remember but i absolutely adored it i thought it was uh frightening i thought the discussion of uh, using god as a basis for a court case was a very very interesting one and the court scenes to me are just as compelling as the uh as the flashback scenes and the exorcism scenes and all those frights and and whatnot um and i just i just thought that was a great movie and i thought that scott derrickson is uh, is one to watch i never watched the, the day the earth stood still uh, that also got horrible reviews but i i never saw that i would like to um and uh, sinister sinister is uh, is probably the uh, the closest thing yeah. 
that Scott Derrickson has done to this movie, uh, not least the uh, the sort of the, the Ethan Hawke connection, the Ethan Hawke connection, and also the Super Eight footage, mm-hmm. um, which is used so expertly in Sinister. As, that and is it's also used great shit. in this movie. In as, this movie as, as well, as Dreamlike. as the Visions. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there was a movie that he did called Deliver Us from Evil, which uh, which I didn't love. I thought that that was uh, one of his lesser efforts, and of course the first Doctor Strange. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so yeah, uh, love the, love the author, love the main actor, love the director, this, you know, love the genre, love Blumhouse. This was a no brainer for me. I yeah. was going to go see this movie no matter what, even if you said to me, I'm not interested. I, I, I was, I was always right. going to go with you. I was always interested in the yeah. film. Now, as I said, we're going to be talking spoilers, uh, but for mm. those of you, uh, who haven't seen the film and are probably not going to see the film, Babs, I'm looking at you. This is the synopsis. We're going to do this in 30 seconds, Johnny said, so I'm putting on a timer. One, two, three, go. Denver, 1978. A serial child deductor named The Grabber, played by Ethan Hawke, is snatching kids from Finney and Gwen's neighborhood. Finney is having problems at school and Gwen is having dreams of the kidnappings, but are they real? When Finney is abducted, he's placed in a cellar with nothing but a disconnected black phone on the wall and a mattress. The terrifying grabber, wearing creepy masks, wants to play by leaving the cellar door unlocked and waiting at the top of the stairs to beat him with a belt if he tries to leave without permission, but Finney isn't biting. All seems lost, but Finney soon starts to realize that all is not as it seems, as the phone starts to ring and he starts to hear voices from the beyond. While on the outside, Gwen tries to force her visions to try and find her missing brother. I set the timer for 30 minutes by accident. <laughs> um, but you did it in 40 seconds. Right. Well done. Ethan Hawke is the grabber. So I want to discuss an aspect of, of, of his sort of character that isn't really... Um, it's not expanded on, and you know how it's it's always like you know what you what you don't know the fact that you know you don't know Hannibal Lecter's motivations and whatnot to right. not make him scarier and all that. So things are hinted at, like he's obviously got some sort of psychosis to do with this, uh, you know, with his mask. You know, he has to wear the mask, and he if his mask is he has removed, to cover his face. If his mask is removed completely, then you know it sort of paralyzes him, as, as, yeah. as happens at the end. Like it's sort of it's never explained why it's not, but it doesn't need to be. Obviously, he's been abused as a child. He was yeah, put in perhaps this he was the yeah point. he was one of the kids in the in the basement, probably abused by his father or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, he. I'm interested to reread the short story and uh, see if there's any sort of like description of that backstory. Yeah, I'm I'm interested it. as well to read the short story. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very sort of he's doing some very interesting uh, vocal things. Yeah, uh, with, with you know, like he he goes from being kind of you know very eat it, don't eat it, oh you goofball, you know, he's like yeah. you know the clown, right? And then you know his voice goes very deep, and he's like, I want it to really really hurt you know like yeah. he's he's like very um you know very, it's very sinister it's very uh oh you know, uh, yeah but you know what i mean yeah. um and you know as you mentioned to me last night i don't want to step on anything you've said you're gonna say like i also love the mask the that detaches in in different and yeah. also has different facial expressions like there's this thing johnny just said in the synopsis about you know you you, you we were talking about how you know he's going he he leaves the door open and finn is like you know that that he hears on the phone the phone rings and he picks it up and they say don't go up the stairs because he's waiting for you yeah he wants and he you... wants you to misbehave right, so that so he has he can an excuse you. to kill you yeah. you know 
um, and he'll beat the crap out of you and, and, and kill you. Right. Um, and and, and that's a good explanation as well as to why Finney is the one who, uh, who spoiler, survives, um, but also lasts as long as he does because, uh, you know, some of the other kids obviously saw that the cellar door was open and tried to run. And, uh, and, you and know, they that tell was the him, thing. Don't, yeah, do don't leave without permission. Yeah. You know, they all tried different things and they told him to try them too. Um, and they all like turn out to be sort of dead ends apart from, you know, the last one, whatever. But the, the, um, all of it actually comes together at the end, to be honest. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really does. Um, it, no, you're, you're a hundred percent correct. Um, and, and he, he, he does, he does sort of go up the stairs a little bit, but then, you know, the camera pans over and we see him facing, uh, we see the grabber facing the uh, the entrance to the hallway in a right. chair. And he's sitting and in he's, the kitchen and he's topless, and he's wearing um, a new a new mask, which is right. instead of the smiley version, this angry version, which is right. sort of like you know I've I've caught you doing something naughty and now right. I'm angry with you. Like he's anticipating it, and this whole part of this game that he's playing in his head is very frightening. It's really really scary. Yeah. Um, so I I want to talk a little bit about the uh, about the masks. Um, so they're designed by uh, Tom Savini. Um, who is a, uh, a veteran uh, special effects and prosthetics artist. And he, he made these masks. I, I think what they remind me of um, more than anything, especially the, uh, the sort of downed, the, the sort of frown mask, the sort of uh, turtle face mask, as mm. it were, is the, uh, yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminds me a lot of, uh, of the, the ghoul from Sinister. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and I love that kind of thing because it shows you a through line in the, uh, in the decision-making process. And, it, you know, you see that it all kind of trickles down from the director, yeah. from the sensibilities of the director. Um, and I and, love that. And visual style. And visual style, yeah. Um, and the, uh, the masks kind of um, have a, uh, you see, like, in the, in the first close-up of the mask that there's a, um, a seam, a, a, a seam uh, along the, uh, the cheek, the top of the cheeks and the, through the bridge of the nose. Um, which allows him to change the bottom or the top of the mask as he sees fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you know, there's like, there's a moment where um, the grabber is standing in the doorway in shadow and he's, uh, mm-hmm. and he's holding, and, and he says to, he's holding like a, a, tray, a tray with, with food, food on it. And he says to Finney, you know, I, I, I'm about to let you go if you tell me your name. And Finney lies and he says his name's Taylor something and whatever. And, uh, and then you see that the grabber kind of like steps out of the shadow into the light. And you see that he's wearing the, the, the sort of the frown the mask. The angry mask. The yeah. angry mask. Because he knew he was going to light him. he knew he was going to light him. And he tosses the, the, you know, today's newspaper at him. And, uh, and Finney sees that there's a whole article about him that he's, uh, that he's missing. And his name is in there. And he says, uh, you know, I was going to let you go, Finney. He really wasn't going to let him go. He really wasn't going to let him go. But like, I love that, that fact that you don't know what mask he's wearing. And he mm-hmm. steps out of the shadow and then you suddenly see the that he's moment. like, yeah, because it's as if his expression changed, but it was always, it was always going to be that because he knew. Yeah. And I think that, um, first of all, Ethan Hawke recently, he started going a little bit more into the realm of, of villains. Um, you know, he plays Arthur Harrow in, uh, in Moon Knight. And I think he does a great job in that. But this takes no, this it is something else to this a whole is, other yeah. level this reminds me of stanley tucci in uh, in the lovely yeah. bones you know this is like this is something that um you know could either be uh too close to home in which case um is uncomfortable and and yucky but to me he strikes that balance between um you know otherworldly otherworldly and... pantomime villain mustache twirling but with depth you know yeah. he, he's got like this uh 
and 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 the the great thing is because he's wearing these masks as all the emotion uh, is coming from from the eyes and from the voice and from the gestures and whatever and you see that he's like really pumped himself up he's he's kind of uh, not exactly ripped but more like uh, like Tom he's Hardy big, yeah. in uh, as Bane in um, in the Dark Knight Rises um, it's kind of like uh, almost fat but n- but toned but not, yeah you know he, he's also a kind of strongman kind of uh, kind of physique. Yeah, you can believe. Well, I mean, yeah, he's like really. Uh, he's able to take them down. They're, 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 they're not kids like young young kids. I'm, well, right. They're like fourteen, mm. maybe. I would um, say so. And uh, you know, there's also. I don't know if you got this, but there's almost a sexual undertone there. Like he he sort of says to him, "I'm not going to do anything. We're not going to do anything that you don't want to do." Right. Yeah. You know, like, but it, it, depends... it leaves it to the imagination of like what he did to the other kids before he killed them. You know. Right. It depends where he gets his uh, sexual gratification, though. It's yeah. uh, you know, it could be from the from the beating. Yeah. It might not actually be something overtly sexual. Yeah. But he might get sexual uh, uh, pleasure from uh, from the beating, but um, and from the killing as well. But yeah. um, anyway. Anyway, I thought that uh, that in terms of the the psychological kind of mind games that he plays and, and all that kind, of, I, th- I just thought he was pitch perfect. Um, it's a very difficult role to uh, to get into, and I know that Stanley Tucci, after the Lovely Bones, said that he was extremely disturbed by playing that role. Yeah, um, I can imagine. But uh, but I think it looks like to me like Ethan Hawke is really enjoying kind of chewing the scenery. Um, I also uh, noticed kind of a, a sort of homosexual undertone, which I think yeah. I read about, um, you know, as, as the movie came out a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was, that, um, that there's uh, some kind of controversy behind that. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's explicitly stated in the novel or not, but there's uh, there's definitely a a kind of um, well, I mean, kind he's, of a only, to his he's only taking boys. He's only you know, taking he's, boys. Yeah, uh, he's a pedophile. He's you know he's only interested in boys. He's, there's there's a lot of um, sort of hinted at but never stated right. um, things, which I think is is also part of that mystery that makes it more frightening. The, the supernatural element to it, where, you know, the black phone rings and he picks it up and then he's talking to the dead kids. Right. Um, and they're sort of giving him tips or whatever it is, um, is is sort of like this, this nice sort of element to it. Uh, but it could have worked without any of that just because of, you know, how, how, he's, yeah. how he's behaving and how he's he's revealing some things but at the same time absolutely nothing about himself like right. it's very um very very sort of like like fluid you know it's but always that, moving. that to me is the uh, is the fingerprints of joe hill is that supernatural yeah. element in there and the fact that gwen the younger sister is uh is Touched. having these dreams and visions and and whatever like it's uh that's very much joe hill and i was very much aware that i was watching a joe hill adaptation throughout the entire thing which uh which i really enjoyed um but uh but yeah there's uh the supernatural element the uh, the whole phone thing the thing is that <laughs> i read this out on the uh, minisode from the field that you may get after this episode's released or not at all depending on how it goes um but there was a uh, there was a, a facebook post on on the empire group funnily enough it's a letterboxed review and it's got four stars and yeah. it says <laughs> during the screening tonight someone ripped ass and sounded like they shit themselves right after a jump scare 0.2 seconds later a guy came running down the stairs of the theater and never came back um i thought that was quite amusing and i read this out like while we were sitting in the seats before the tra- the trailers started and everything and the funny thing is that during the movie i jumped a grand total of three times you did um it started off by you know kind of oh 
Jesus Christ. Like I jumped three feet in the air because I wasn't expecting it. The second time it was like, oh, for fuck's sake, he did it again. And then the third time I was like, he's going to get me. He's going to get me again, isn't he? Oh my God. God, um, yeah, and the, the but the funny thing is that it was nothing to do with Ethan Hawke. And what Each was your time, brother? Oh right, your brother was cool as a cucumber. Cool as a fucking cucumber, you twat. Um, <laughs> it's all to do with that um, with that supernatural uh, element of the uh, of the the dead kids communicating with Finney uh, over the phone. Um, and yeah, I mean, I first of all. Fuck you, Scott Derrickson, but well done. Yeah. Um, Good job. No, because like there are times where, you know, you read about a movie that has jump scares in it and I watch it and it doesn't do anything for me, whether it's in the cinema or at home. Um, But this one, uh, you know, the jump scares were not integral to the movie as a horror movie because there was definitely some creepiness without it, but they fucking worked. And if you're going to do jump scares they should work. Yeah. You know? Um, they so didn't, I, I, they it, didn't feel cheap. There is such a thing as they like, didn't feel oh, cheap, yeah. oh, it's, you know, ramping up tension. There's going to be a jump scare. Like, I mean, yeah. the reason I didn't jump is because I, I could see them. I could see them coming, but they were good jump scares. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not, I, I didn't see them coming <laughs> for some reason. Cause he's just like chatting on the phone with them, whatever. Like there are a few times when the grabber just appears and I inwardly jumped. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't physically jump. And and I just thought... Those that, were mine. Mine were inward jumps. Right. And I just thought that, um, that like, it, I enjoy that. That's what I go to these movies for, is to... You want to be frightened. Be frightened. Um, and I, and, and it, it, it delivered. Yeah, it really did. It delivered it, on it that was, front. It, it, was, it, it creates a sense of dread throughout as well that, uh, that sort of hangs in the air. Um, which is which is also another thing, which is why, like uh, I said before, that I would have, uh, you know, I would have cut down some of the stuff that happens outside of the basement, um, you know, because yeah. it kind of breaks the tension a little bit. Uh, which, yeah, sorry. I, no, I did. I did find that you know the the movie uh, definitely found uh, it, it had a lot of uh, fluff in the outside stuff as well, and with with Gwen. Yeah. Um, but I did find that. They it was kind of the opposite of what you'd expect, really. They were able to do the intense emotions, the two kids, right? Um, but you know, the, some there was some specifically stuff that was Gwen. Like, it was Gwen. I don't know. I also felt that he had a couple of bum moments as well, like where he just looked uh, like he was very, com- very constipated. There were very few and far between. If they were there, I didn't notice anything. I, I thought Mason Thames uh, or Thames, Thames. I don't know. Thames. I don't know. Don't trust us with pronunciation. Don't as trust you, you us know, at tomorrow, all. Tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, 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 Anyway, so. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so uh, Mason uh, Thames or Thames or... or oh, for fuck's sake! He, uh, he, I thought that he was very, very good. He's got to carry the entire movie on his, uh, on his young shoulders and he did a fantastic job. An amazing job. Um, and uh, and the, the, the actress playing Gwen, whose name is, uh, is Madeline McGraw. So she um, was good. Madeline, the, Madeline. She was good in the intense scenes. Like she's being beaten by her father and she cries. And, and I thought that she was fantastic. Um, I also had a like those scenes are very difficult to watch for me as well because I I had a certain reaction I have experience with that but also uh, but also I I kind of like a couple of years ago I kind of paid it forward with my son and uh, and uh, you know it's just like a light slap on the legs but I uh, 
you know, I made him scream and cry and I wanted to kill yeah. myself afterwards. Yeah. So not just like the, uh, the sort of being on the receiving end of it, which, uh, which is, which is very difficult to see, but also as a parent, um, as a parent, who, you can see the pain that, uh, that Jeremy Davis is going through as the father, um, that, that he's doing that kind of thing and he can't stop doing it and that he's a drunk and he's, and he's drinking. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, even that one split second of, uh, of sort of misjudgment, and uh, losing my call that happened a couple of years ago and hasn't happened since and hopefully will never happen again, uh, you know, was uh, was something that made me want to literally jump out of a window or slip my wrist. You know, it was it was very, very uh, difficult to sort of reconcile the fact that I'd done that. Um, and watching this movie, like, it brought back all of that. Now, I'm not going to say that that's a bad thing because something that gives you a visceral reaction like that is, uh, is testament to the... Uh, to the filmmakers and to the writing and to the acting as well, um, but yeah, the, the, you know, the, there's some triggering stuff in there. Let's yeah, put it that way. The, the, there, there is a trigger warning there. You know, yeah, that, that. yeah. Uh, she, I felt that that scene where he's beating her with the belt and she's crying yeah. and she is actually crying and like yeah. you know she's she's doing the child sort of like you know just uh, like you know upside down frown thing the, the frown scream yeah. thing yeah um, and you know, my younger, my eldest, sorry, does that, um, you know, if I get annoyed with him right. or something. Um, and, uh, and it was just very uncomfortable for me. Like, you know, I was, I was talking about it with, uh, with Josh last night and she was like, yeah, but you, you don't hit him with a belt or anything. Like you don't, you don't hit him. You don't, you don't, you don't raise right. a hand to him. Like, you know, you don't, you're a very good dad. Like, she's like, you don't, you know, so we all lose our temper with our kids. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, because we're all human and we're all tired and, you know, whatever. And it's hard. But, you know, you still feel like shit when you do. Yeah. And you still feel like shit when you see it on screen because movies have a way of holding up a mirror. Right. That, you know, not just... It can, it can also uh, trigger you from your childhood. Right. Or it can trigger you now as an adult, like, you know, in things that you wish you didn't do or didn't have about yourself, you know? The thing is, is that we're always working on it. I can actually say about you that ever since that incident that happened, by the way, it it was, it was, it was a very small incident. Um, You know, you, you weren't, you weren't whacking him with a belt or anything. No, but it's, uh, it's the, uh, the, the sort of the violence of the act that, uh, that kind of shocked him and shocked me at the same time. Like as soon as it happened, like at the time, you wouldn't let it go for a very long time, even after your wife had let it go and he had let it go and and all of that. Triggering stuff. Triggering stuff. Moving on. Um, So, and so coming, coming to that, like there were, there were also certain scenes with Gwen uh, that I felt like she wasn't convincing at all. Um, now, it's very, very difficult to find child actors who are convincing. Um, and there are there's like the 2% where you have people like Haley Joel Osment or, uh, or Dakota Fanning or uh, Elle Fanning, for that matter. Yeah. Um, you know, where, where you have these, uh, these kids who are just completely unaffected and who feel like they're bearing their very soul to you. Uh, at a very very young age, um, and uh, and and while I think that Mason Thames was uh, was a little bit more in that direction, I felt like uh, like uh, Madeline McGraw uh, probably Still needed a little it. bit. She needed a little, little bit more coaching uh, yeah. in the, in certain scenes. Um, and I mean, there's also certain things where she's like sort of praying to praying to Jesus. For She's her like, visions, please, please, please. Uh, hey Jesus, what's up? How's it going? And there's one point where she doesn't she doesn't have a dream at all, and she uh, kneels down and she goes, "Jesus, 
what the fuck, man? <laughs> no dreams at all? And I just thought, like, it's... I don't know if it was judged as a kind of way to, to break the tension. tension yeah. But it, it just kind of... It fell it didn't, flat. Yeah, it fell a bit flat. And I think that she wasn't the one to, to sort of deliver that kind of uh, humor. But yeah. anyway, I, she, I, she I was... Did, she did convey you know, the worry and the panic yeah. and the urgency, the, the important emotions I did feel she could, that she was, there was able definitely to get pathos across. there. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we can't all be the kids from stranger things when we're right. child actors, right. right? We can, you know, the, that, that is a, I was saying to Shoshina while we were watching it, I said that from season one onwards, like, you know, there are some of them who aren't like perfect, but even the least strong actors in that group, are still very very strong actors right. and and they're they're all it's incredible how how the cast is so impeccably good right um you know so it's it's hard to do it's hard to cast that sort of thing and at right. that age she did she did a good job in, yeah. in most of it i think i think that um that it, more of an editorial thing that there probably could have uh, been a few nips and tucks yeah. in the uh, in the gwen department there could have been a little bit less gwen yeah um so uh so yeah but she is she is somewhat integral to the plot and uh and she is the one that finds him in the end so yeah but she's not really because um you know if you think about all that stuff that you know they they go to the other house the the grabber has two houses he's got one where he buries the bodies and one where he keeps the kids like finn has escaped he's he's killed the grabber with the phone right and he walks out and you know her being there, not being there, the police being there, not being there, absolutely inconsequential. He literally could have just walked home from there. That's funny, actually, that you mentioned that, because uh, now I'm sort of thinking of that whole argument about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, yeah. But um, but I, I wanted to talk about that for a second. The, uh, the two house thing, mm. um, I thought that it should have been handled a little bit more in a Silence of the Lambsy kind of way, that cross-cutting, the fake-out. Yeah. Um, it didn't quite work for me, and I was like, I was watching it, and I was going, why Why are there two... I mean, it's supposed to obviously, like, uh, like throw you off the scent, um, but it... It, it just, wasn't presented it wasn't the way presented, it should have, yeah. yeah, it wasn't quite... It didn't quite... It felt a little bit flat for me. And the other thing was, on the same in the same token, was the brother, I thought, was a completely superfluous character. Yeah. Um, that uh, the, the grabber has a brother that's sort of staying with him in the house that that he's either the house that he's burying the kids in or house that he's keeping the kids. I, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just like none of that storyline needed to be there. I thought it was, uh, it was completely superfluous, but, uh, but anyway, I, I digress. Um, Finn killing the grabber. Mm. We're, we're doing this completely out of order, but what do you think? I was actually really happy with that. Um, I mean, I thought it there was definitely a, a fist punch, a fist yeah, punch. there was a fin- fist pumping, fist pumping, yeah, yeah, kind of a pumping kind of a your moment. fist, yeah, Benjamin, but what believable? No, but a lot of that film isn't very believable. I had completely no, realistic suspended... versus believable. No, I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying that like. Um, you had suspended disbelief. I had completely suspended okay. disbelief. The minute the minute she started having visions, like I was okay with the black phone and I would have like accepted that he was speaking to the ghosts and you know, whatever. Right. Maybe I would have found that ending a well, bit that's jarring. Yeah, okay. But like because of the visions and you know, how she found the house and she'd brought the police there, I was already like the the thing about him killing the grabber is um important because as you said, it brings all of the kids who died like all of their experiences together right um and i think there's even a sort of 
Yeah, that he falls into the hole that one of them told him to, to dig. To dig, and the grate that uh, that that uh, you know the one kid tells him to like pull out a cable that's uh, yeah. that's sort of in the side of the wall and uh, and use it to climb up to the window, um, and that and then the grate is sort of like pulled loose from the window. Uh, and but he grate, still uses the wire to... And, and so he stashes the grate in the hole. Mm-hmm. The grabber, um, he uses the wire to trip the grabber up. Uh, the grabber falls into the hole, breaks, breaks his, his on ankle the, on the yeah. uh, on the grate that's uh, that's inside the hole. Like there's a the you know the um, he uses the uh, the meat from the freezer to uh, to say to distract the dog. Distract the dog. Um, one of the kids tells him to like uh, to sort of make a hole in the wall and uh, get into a and freezer get in and use it, like unscrew the uh, like all of those things have a use and yeah. and it's really quite. Uh, quite like I, th- I found that that part exciting because that, it, it was it was like yeah. Lego pieces clicking right, exactly, into place. exactly. A very satisfying clicking yeah. sound and then that one element like I first of all I, I love the opening scene the opening scene is a baseball game yeah where Finn is playing a uh, he's a, he's the the pitcher to uh to the this kid uh, Bruce who's the batter and the two pitches Bruce strikes out and then the uh, on the third pitch he hits it there's this feeling of like um, uh, of antagonism between the two of them because obviously they're on opposite sides of the game but then at the end of it Bruce comes to comes up to Finney and he says that you know good game you know yeah, your, uh, your arm is like strong. is really strong kind of thing because he's like got a strong pitch you almost had and me. he you almost had me and he uses that um, like that plot element he being Joe Hill or Scott Derrick and they use that plot element at the end to explain why Finn is able to strangle the grabber with the phone. He's actually quite strong. Yeah, he because can, he's like, got even, a strong arm. Even Robin says to him... Robin's one of the other kids. That gets yeah, one of the other kids. He says to him, you know, I can't, I can't hit, hit this guy. And he's like, yes, you can. You're very strong. You can throw a hard punch. You right. just don't because you don't have the confidence. Right, exactly. And, you know, like, it's about Finn coming out of his sort of lack of confidence right. shell like even the reason he loses the game right at the beginning of of the movie uh he could have done three strikes he has a very strong arm but he he sort of wimps out on the third one and throws a weak one because he notices a girl in the crowd looking right. at him that he likes and his confidence right. goes down and you know it's like so all, all of that is established very very well during very well. those like during that first act um and that's that's what i uh that's what i love about uh about um, about Joe Hill and Stephen King for that matter is that they're always very well-rounded characters and even though you've got these fantastical elements there's always depth yeah. and there's always uh, pathos and there's always like these uh, you know you know like the as I said the difficult uh, the difficult elements of the plot are visceral they get they make you react mm-hmm. that's what you want a movie to do they want you know you want it to to make you feel um and uh and and there's great contrast in that opening scene that like the focus shifts from finney to bruce and bruce is like riding his bike down the uh down the street and uh you know he's like sort of winking at the girls and you've got the uh edgar winter group's uh, free ride in the background which by the way when a when a song fills the cinema like that you know, it fills the speakers. It really gives you like that amazing feeling. Like you hear the music and the, the sound mix and everything, um, you know, and, and then, you know, it sort of like just fail, fades to black and, and, and echoes out and, you know, um, and it just kind of like shows you... You see the black van pull up in front yeah, of you. Yeah, exactly. You see the black van pull up in out of focus in the foreground um, or in the background rather. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and then it fades to black as it pulls up in slow motion. And you have that kind of... that. It, first of all, it establishes the world. 
you know, uh, Denver, nineteen seventy-eight. Um, the clothes, the style of cinematography—that's uh, it wasn't shot on film. And I think that they used vintage anamorphic lenses, and they probably added in a little bit of uh, artificial grain in there uh, to give it that kind of um, that kind of film. old school seventies uh, brown kind of sepia look. Um, and uh, you know, and 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 you have that that whole like dreamlike quality of like that that sort of rose tinted glasses nostalgia. Uh, and then, um, you know, and then you, you see all that kind of, you know, this kid, Bruce, he's a, he's a great baseball player. The girls love him. He's got his entire life ahead of him comes to a grinding halt as soon as you see that van. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's just a really great opening. I thought it's so subtle. You know, you don't have to have, uh, you know, CGI Tom Holland hanging out of the back of a plane, you know, that, uh, that's like a sort of flash forward to a scene that, uh, that comes in its entirety later on in the movie, you know, in order to grab the audience, this movie grabs the audience with a very low key opening. Yeah. And it's just a, a great mood setter, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> There's something very triggering for me about kids being in danger. I think for all of us. Yeah, uh, which I mean, is look, why especially when you're are, a parent, you know. It, it doesn't matter like, you know, we all associate um kids with childhood innocence. When that is threatened, um it it hits us all somewhere, you know, because right. at some point in our childhoods, we were all in a position where we were scared. Right. Right. You you want when th- you're a that child innocence was threatened. When you're a child, you want to you want to feel like you're um like you're safe. Yeah. Like your home life is uh And when you're a parent, you want your children to be safe. Right. You know, I was actually th- this is a a bit of a, a sort of degras, but um when uh I was taking um you know, my eldest to his daycare and they have like a gate with a combination code where the combination code is not particularly it's it's really dumb. Yeah. And, you know, fine, whatever. But I got there one morning, and not just one morning, several mornings, where the bar um, to lock it was actually pushed across and being used yeah. to prop the door open. To prop open. the door open, yeah, I hate that. And I, and that I a took a picture practice. of it. I took a picture of it, and I sent it to the WhatsApp group with all the other parents. And I told them off, and I said, stop doing that, because, you know, the extra three seconds that you gain when you leave from leaving it open like that is the extra three not seconds, worth, you, you know, know the lives you, of our kids, you yeah. know, that, you know, can you explain that when your kids in, is in danger? Like, I know yeah. that, you know, it sounds silly, but it's not that, you know, I want my children to feel safe. I want to know that when I'm here doing this podcast with you or I'm at work or whatever it is that I'm not constantly worried about my children. Um, and, uh, and you know, these sorts of things, like even that shot, what made me really, really, my stomach turn was the shot of the, the graves and then the freshly dug one in, in the other house where he buries them. Mm -hmm. That, um, you know, more than anything, uh, upset me. And, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm constantly like, uh. Just worried about them, you know, when they're walking right. down the street with me and, you know, I turn around and my eldest is a little bit further behind me than I thought he was. I get freaked out. Yeah. Um, and I know that, you know, at some point you have to let go and you have to let them walk home by themselves when they're, you know, of an age. Um, but I, I wonder if you ever stop worrying about them. So I don't think so. I, look, my son has a has a tricycle. Um, he's got a scooter now, but um, but back when he had the tricycle, yeah, he just um, scooches on ahead, doesn't he? Yeah, he used to go around corners and whatever, and I used to p- 
peg it after him, yeah, yelling yeah, at him yeah, to stop. I remember. And uh, and I and I used to say to him, "I'm going to take it away from you if you you know if you're going to do that because I I don't know if like you know he's going to turn a corner and there's some you know pedophile waiting to snatch him. Not even see. that. He can or he's he going to like, turn around and someone can accidentally drive up onto the pavement. Yeah, or, or, like or you know, or he's going to like scoot into the road or something. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, I think that's a constant. But this is interesting. I was I was thinking about this last night when when I got home mm. that the protagonist of choice for a lot of horror writers and directors was usually a woman, mm. whether it's a teenager, whether it's an adult, whatever it is. It was usually a woman. Um, or a child. The cliche is that women and children are vulnerable. You know, like they, they said on the Titanic, women and Not children nowadays. first. You know, women and children first or, or whatever. Or I, I don't, you know, like uh, hitmen always say, I don't kill women and children and whatnot. Um, you know, that that's the... Not the way I play hitmen. <laughs> the general societal consensus is that women and children are, are off limits. And when you put women and children in danger, it ups the tension. I think that that has been disproven when you look at something like Buried. Have you ever watched Buried with of Ryan Reynolds? Of course I have, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that is when you or take... Sinister. Or Sinister. Or Sinister. Yeah, exactly. When you take a, a male character and you strip away all of their... Um, all of their sort of resolve and confidence and strength and all that kind of stuff, you make them vulnerable, they are just as susceptible mm-hmm. as any woman or any child. This movie um, is, uh, is all about the kids, yeah. right? And... There's nothing to it. Like, if you put kids in danger, it makes the stakes very, very high. So, uh, so yeah, it just it just interests me the um, the sort of the choice of of protagonists in a horror film and how what those sort of considerations are of uh, you, you know who who you're going to put in danger, so to speak, so that the audience will have the most visceral reaction to it as as uh, as is humanly possible. Um, and obviously, you know, putting kids in danger is not only like a uh, a, a repugnant uh, thought you know it's something that that you know keep us up at night yeah um but it's also uh it's also very effective in uh, in a horror movie yeah um so yeah i i, I just uh, it, it, i was just thinking about like uh you know what uh what the sort of ins and outs of that are anyway well i mean you know that i i can't remember who it was i was i was reading just a few days ago an article about why kids are the subject of horror movies and it's because of that ele- element of you know, innocence being threatened, that it right. that, that is something that affects you whether you have kids or not. Right. You look at movies, uh, recent movies that have come out and on the same subject, like uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, mm-hmm. for example, you know, the protagonist is a, is a woman. Um, the funny thing is that the uh, that the male character gets killed and the, uh, and the female character survives. Uh, or Split, uh, you know, the main character is a woman, again, yeah. uh, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, or you look at something like Room, which is a woman and a child. Yeah. Um, so uh, not the room, room. Um, <laughs> I fed up with this world. Um, so <laughs> hi, doggy. I did not hit her. I uh, yeah. I, I find I find it interesting what the uh, what the choices are and what the reasoning behind the choices are. Um, but anyway, I have a couple of um, of critiques that I wanted to level at this movie. Aside from uh, from the stuff that I liked about it, mm-hmm. which was uh, you know to be fair, like maybe like most of it, eighty five percent I loved. Yeah. You know, there, there was like, like for example, if you watch the beginning of um, of the Conjuring two, there's about fifteen minutes there where the acting isn't great, the writing isn't great, just the establishment of everything and you know i think it also it's also down to the bad british accents by american yeah, actors yeah. um but once that movie gets going it's 
incredible and so scary um but uh, and here i felt kind of the same way there's a lot of gwen in the in the opening yeah in the opening act um but it uh but like it, it really does establish the world very very well and um you know and, and once you get to the grabber it has uh, all the more impact the so i said i already said that uh, that gwen needed to be cut down a little bit and maybe like uh, have a little bit of uh, acting coaching um to be honest with you all three kids in the in the harry potter movies improved over time, um, yeah. Really, like, I mean, all three of them are fantastic actors now, uh, but they also, but they started off a little bit rough. So, you know, you can't say that uh, that that Madeline McGraw is a bad actress. She's not, um, but she needed a little bit of fine tuning there. That's yeah, what I which felt. Which is, it's something that I'm able to like, you know, look past, look past just because right. I understand that she's a child, and I was greatly impressed by the things that she right. did very well. So I wasn't necessarily taken out of it. I know that it was you were taken out of it a little bit more, right? Um, but yeah, it was. It was. I thought she was. I, I could have used less of her just just because um, you know. At the end of the day, her character does not end up having any consequential right. impact on the movie. Right. I think um, she's just there for the for the tension. She's look. She's and a, she brings to, a lot of heart. She brings a lot. She brings of heart a lot of heart, it. but also she's having these visions that kind of explain. Uh, how the other kids were taken as yeah, well, which, yeah. uh, which gives a little bit of shading there. The other thing was uh, there's a scene in which uh, in which Finney is uh, being ganged up on by three bullies, mm-hmm. and he's being beaten up, and Gwen kind of like rushes out with a rushes with out a them with a with a war cry like ah, get off my brother you fucks, mm-hmm. um, and she starts like beating the shit out of one of them and, uh, and whatever, and she hits one of the guys in the head with a rock, and his temple starts gushing blood. Yeah. On the one hand, that's a that's a you know it's powerful on the other hand that never comes back yeah it kind of just gets left you know it was to it was to illustrate that you know she has more fight in her than than finn does and he has to discover that fight right Right. but like it's it's not i also thought that was like a little too too much for very little payoff right um and the other thing is that um uh, there's a slight implausibility towards the end. Again, this is a Gwen comment Hmm. um, that the, uh, that she calls the cops. They don't believe her. They don't believe that she's having these visions. They want to know why she knows about the black balloons that were found at the scene. Nothing was ever published. Nothing was ever reported. And then suddenly she calls them and she's like, Hey, I've, I've, you know, I've had a dream and they're all like, Oh, let's get the entire force behind this. I've had a dream. The bad guys are in there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) Yeah. That was the, (laughs) Um, but like, but the, but they believe her, and they all like, uh, they all like come in force. There's oh, like man, four or five. That's police a movie cars. that I want to do. The last action yes, hero. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's cool. one we could do a live watch too. Maybe that that's one of the ones that I'd be like cracking up all the way. Yeah, through. exactly. But in general, I thought that the uh, that the pacing was very good, um, and I thought that the uh, that the the tension was was mm. well racked up, and uh, and uh, you know we talked about this yesterday that you said that you wouldn't watch this again because you don't tend to revisit horror films. I was um, thinking about it. The, the the horror film that I have revisited the most in the last few years is probably It Chapter One, and right. ne- I haven't seen Chapter Two since we watched it right. in the cinema because I didn't think it was as good as Chapter One. No, I think um, the de aging kind of. Really Really buggered up it, a lot it, of that. It wasn't just the de-aging, it was also the characterization of Pennywise, that he's a lot more sort of, you know, um, very Winnie the Pooey in in <laughs> in the second one. Yeah, you know, he kind of goes Vicky. like, hello, right? hello, balloon. And, and you know, he, he he's not as scary, he's not used to as, as good effect 
um, in the yeah. second movie as he is in the first one. I really think they could have just left it at chapter one and it would have been great. They like, could have you know, done. They could have done it. But I think it, it probably would have been better if they'd had that momentum and uh, and shot. And obviously they weren't going to do this because they weren't sure if it was going to be successful. But I think they should have shot um, one and two back to back. Yeah. Because I also, also the kids grew up. I also think like if they were going to do some of the stuff where they're showing it coming from outer space and landing in the sort of, you know pre-existing dairy whatever it was you're gonna disagree with me but they could have done the sort of you know mind battle you know the circle of chud the the proper yeah. thing they could have done it johnny there are visuals there that they could have translated to the screen yeah I let me do it and i will do it right <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking but you know th- there yeah. are some things there that could really have worked and james mcavoy definitely could have pulled it off and it just didn't end up working. The 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 way that he turns into a spider. This isn't about um, you know the movie. The black anymore. phone. But I mean, there is a connection. Uh, yeah. We'll get there on trivia corner. Uh, there's a couple of connections. But, but my um, point is, is that yeah. I've revisited it chapter one. Um, I don't tend to revisit horror movies or horror games mm-hmm. um, because because of the dark places that they take me to. Like right. I don't have the inclination to go back after I've experienced it once. So I I love. Um, collecting these movies uh, I have a whole Blumhouse collection the A24 ones I don't have uh, so much of because they, they are much more disturbing I would like to buy up Hereditary and uh, Midsummer. they are some of them like two of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen right I have no inclination to even watch them after you've described but them but they're so good though they're, they're really really well done um, anyway so I plan to buy the Black Phone on 4K I think that the um, the some the, it's a very dark film, and mm. I think a lot of the uh, the sort of the darkness, the blacks, the shadow detail were kind of ruined by the LED, the blue LED lights on the stairs that are really yeah. bright and sort of shine on the screen. I'm I'm quite excited to uh, to see that again uh, in a few months' time, and you know, it's uh, I, I thought it was a very intense, uh, atmospheric, and, uh, and and a very well done adaptation of uh, yeah. of, of Joe Hill's uh, short story. Um, one of the best. Um, I, I, I would. Uh, I would definitely watch this again. Um, would you like to go to trivia corner? Yes. Okay. Well, here we are. It's trivia, trivia corner. corner. This movie was the reason Scott Derrickson didn't direct Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Okay. So there were creative differences uh, between him and Marvel. Um, but I think, to be honest, having just seen this movie, the right people got the right yeah, jobs. Yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi was perfect for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and Scott Derrickson uh, should not have missed out on directing this. Absolutely. Uh, in June 2022, Derrickson said that Joe Hill had pitched him a wonderful idea for a sequel that he would do if the first film was successful. Uh, I trust in Joe Hill, so when mm. he says one, he's got a wonderful idea, I would, uh, yeah. But the, uh, but the grabber's dead. And I would think that the grabber is the main character oh, of like the draw of this uh, he's on the poster you know it's like yeah i don't know i, I mean uh, you know you could do the uh, the continuing adventures of um finn and of finn when? uh you could also have the grabber be like uh you know the the a voice on the phone kind of thing yeah that would be um creepy. you know that, that he's like uh, kind of visiting uh finn from the from the great beyond um but anyway i i'm i would uh, i would be in the in the queue for that one okay um, most of the short story makes up the film. They expanded it. They added more victims. Um, but they made one change, mm. which is that the grabber is now a magician instead of a clown. 
Interesting. Let's let that sink in for a second. Why would they change that, I wonder? Well, obviously. Yeah. Um, But uh, Joe Hill has stated that uh, he wasn't really a fan of it. He he read it, like, once, I think, a long time ago. He read his dad's book and didn't like it. (laughs) I'm not sure that he didn't like it, but I I don't think that he necessarily had that on the mind when he was writing the short story for this. Um, I I think in general he wanted to sort of come in clean to writing things. By the way, I love it, like yeah. the book. Yeah. It's a great um, book. Um but the uh but the idea was that Hill was basing uh the grabber on John Wayne Gacy, who was a clown. Yeah. So uh so that that was the that was where that came from. Um but anyway they changed it to a magician uh and he says, Do you want to see a magic trick? And you know that that's how he gets him to yeah to sort of go into the thing. Um I kind of you know, I, I sort of, uh, you know, that Gwen does say to to Finney at some point in the in the movie that uh, that there are black balloons, and yeah. uh, and I thought that when Finn saw the black balloons, he should have pegged it in the yeah, other direction. Exactly. But uh, but he doesn't. Are and those I, black balloons in there? Oh shit! Yeah, exactly. Not are those black balloons in there? Hey, do you want to see a magic trick? Sure. Yeah. No, but that the black balloons thing came after the magic. Oh, uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. The whole um, thing should have just, black van run away. Yeah. But anyway, so the grabber um, lures in his victims uh, with the van and he, uh, like his his whole thing was he does like a sort of a pratfall mm-hmm. and he drops all of his groceries and the eggs break and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, what a, you know, silly. Yeah, goof. yeah, what a silly sod I am kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that Ted Bundy was uh, used to do to lure his victims into the van. Um, and uh, the other thing was that... Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer also uh, recaptured an escaped uh, victim, which is mm. uh, the same as what happens with Finn in this movie. And uh, John Wayne Gacy used a belt. Oh, wow. So, uh, so there's a lot of inspiration from real-life uh, serial killers here. This is horrific. Um, there's uh, also a, uh, an It connection um, that I believe is a visual cue uh, that, that was probably put in by uh, Scott Derrickson, which is uh, Gwen riding her bike in the rain in a, uh, in a yellow Mac. Oh, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. So, uh, so there you go. I thought uh, there was a there was a shining sort of um, nod, movie nod, yeah, uh, where you, it cuts very quickly to the to the two girls, right? Which two girls? The twins, the in the Shining. Yeah, yeah. And so she's like riding down the street, and then it suddenly very quickly cuts to the dead kid standing yeah. in front of her. That's oh a God. kind of Shining reference. That also made that me made jump me that. So four jumps, really, if you think about it. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, no, but that wasn't, that <laughs> was like, that was counting? more of one of those like inward jumps. It wasn't yeah, a yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Anyway, so that's, um, so that's Trivia Corner. Trivia. Trivia Corner. Well, that's all I've got. <laughs> that's all I've got as well. I think that was a very, uh, that was a very interesting discussion. Yeah, I think um, so as well. And I think that, uh, that, you know, it being a great movie, uh, it had a few flaws here and there, but uh, but what movie doesn't? Uh, but I thought in general it was uh, it was brilliant, and I uh, and I and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I also thought that uh, that it was interesting the kinds of uh, the kinds of things that it brought up, the kinds of uh, discussion topics that it brought yeah. up here. Yeah, I was. Uh, I'm glad that we went. Uh, I came home. Uh, I, I was not in the right mind space to see this film. I'd had a very yeah. very bad day and you know so would I, I was in a, yeah that wasn't fun <laughs> i was in a, a very terrible headspace and i came home in an even worse headspace for having experienced that uh, right. but i woke up this morning uh thinking about it and i was like that was a really good film and i'm glad that we went to go see it and whatever yeah um and i would definitely recommend it to a friend 
I would recommend it to a friend as well. However, I don't really know anybody who watches horror movies. Me neither. I'd recommend it to you then. No, I, I don't need to. to. Yeah. Well, that was our episode. Thank you for tuning in. Ewan, you don't need to make the lightsaber sounds. Anyway, catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Good night. What's our seat number?